You are listening to a message by Pastor David Guzik for Enduring Word. For more information about our ministry, please visit EnduringWord.com. Well, with that, um, would you please open up your Bibles to the book of 1 Samuel, chapter 3 is where we're going to begin this morning. I do want to note, I go away for a week and look what happens to our platform. I just, it's just, no, but I'm so pleased with what's going on here on the platform and the stage. And we're not quite finished yet. We've still got a couple screens to hang for the video projectors. And then there's going to be some more stuff going on back here. But I'm very blessed by the progress that's been made on this. And another big milestone for our church. I'll just mention it now. We'll talk to you more about it later. But we do have really an outstanding app for your iPhone or Android out now for the church. You can just look it up online. It's really an outstanding thing. So get a hold of that. Yeah, it's, it's nice, isn't it? So we're very grateful for that. All right, now you know my thing here on Sunday mornings and on Wednesday nights as well is that I, I'm a man who is just really committed to the verse-by-verse teaching through books of the Bible. And on Sundays, we just finished up not too long ago teaching through the book of Exodus. And pretty soon, we're going to get started on teaching through the book or the letter to the Hebrews in the New Testament. And I'm very excited about that, but it'll be a few weeks until we start on it. And I'm going to use these sort of in-between weeks just to do a few messages that are on my heart that I think God would want to speak to us as a congregation And this morning it's going to be a little bit unusual because instead of taking like a one chapter or half a chapter and going through it line by line, what I'm going to give you this morning is sort of a bird's eye view of one particular book of the Bible. And that one particular book is the book of 1 Samuel. Because I think if you take a look at 1 Samuel, you'll notice that it's organized around three prominent lives that fill the book. First, there's the life of Samuel, Then there's the life of Saul, and then there's the life of David. What I want to do is I want to talk about the life of these three men, and especially at three critical choices that was exemplified in each one of these lives. There was a choice in the life of Samuel. There was a choice in the life of Saul. There was a choice in the life of David that really changed everything for the direction of their lives. And I want to take a look at these three lives and these three choices this morning. So we want to begin by taking a look at this man named Samuel, starting in 1 Samuel chapter 3, beginning now at verse 10, where we read, Now the Lord came and stood and called, as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel answered, Speak, for your servant hears. Then the Lord said to Samuel, Behold, I will do something in Israel at which both ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. In that day I will perform against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house from beginning to end. For I have told him that I will judge his house forever for the iniquity which he knows. And because his sons made themselves vile and he did not restrain them. And therefore I have sworn to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned for by sacrifice or offering forever. Verse 15, so Samuel lay down until morning and opened the doors of the house of the Lord. And Samuel was afraid to tell Eli the vision. Then Eli called Samuel and said, Samuel, my son. And he answered, here I am. And he said, what is the word that the Lord spoke to you? Please do not hide it from me. 
God do so to you and more also if you hide anything from me of all the things that he has said to you. Then Samuel told him everything and hid nothing from him. And he said, it is the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. Verse 19, so Samuel grew and the Lord was with him and let none of his words fall to the ground. And all Israel from Dan to Beersheba knew that Samuel had been established as a prophet of the Lord. Do you know something of the story of Samuel? Samuel was a boy who from his very young childhood, we don't know exactly what the age was. Maybe it was uh, four years old. Maybe it was five or six years old. But from a very young age, Samuel was dedicated to the Lord. And I don't just mean in the very beautiful way that we saw little Jack Wally be dedicated to the Lord. That's a precious thing, and we love doing it here at Calvary Chapel. But, But yet I'm talking about in a different way altogether, because actually... What Samuel's parents did was they brought this little boy before the sanctuary, the tabernacle of the Lord, and they brought him to the high priest, and he said, he's yours now. He serves you. He's your permanent little child intern. That's what his job is. It's going to be his work is to grow up and to be sort of a helper at the tabernacle. And they left him there. Well, this little boy, Samuel, grew up then at the tabernacle of the Lord, at the house of the Lord. But yet he had to grow and become initiated in the things of God. And one night as he lay his head down to sleep, he heard a voice speaking to him, Samuel, Samuel. And again, not being familiar with the things of God and not really knowing how to recognize nor respond to the voice of God, the little boy Samuel thought that it was Eli, the high priest, speaking to him from the other room. So what did he do? He jumped up, he ran into Eli's room and he said, Eli, here I am, you called for me, what did you want? Well, this woke Eli up and he said, I didn't call for you, boy, go back to bed, leave me alone. So Samuel runs back to bed and he goes to sleep. Then again, he hears the voice again, Samuel, Samuel. And he jumps up again and runs in. He goes, well, now Eli's really woke up. I mean, I woke him up. Maybe he wants a drink of water. Maybe he wants a newspaper. I don't really know. He wakes up and he goes and he says, Eli, Eli, here I am. What do you want? And Eli tells him, no, no, Samuel, I didn't call you. But then Eli understood that it must have been the Lord speaking to Samuel. And Eli told Samuel what to do. He said, now, Samuel, the next time you hear this call to you, say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. Which, by the way, doesn't that describe the kind of open heart we should have towards the voice of God in our life? Whenever we approach this book, shouldn't it be with the heart that says, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening? Well, that's exactly what Samuel did. The little boy, and again, we don't know exactly how old he was at this point. Let's say maybe nine years old. We don't really know exactly, but let's just say nine years old. The nine-year-old boy goes back to bed. He's about to fall asleep, and he hears it again. Samuel, Samuel, and he says, speak, Lord, for your servant listens. Now, what do you think God's first message to a great man of God would be when that man of God was just a little boy. How about something like this? Samuel, Samuel, I love you and you are my precious child. Wouldn't that be a nice thing to hear from the Lord? Samuel, Samuel, you're so dear to me on and on. Something loving, something affirming, something encouragement. Let me just tell you, that wasn't what God said to Samuel at all. God spoke from heaven and spoke to a little boy and gave him a heavy message of judgment upon the house of the high priest. 
This is a very difficult thing. God basically tells him, you know the man who's as a father to you right now? You know the man who is the high priest of the entire nation of Israel? I'm going to bring judgment upon him and on his sons for their great wickedness. Now, could you blame little Samuel for saying, all right, Lord, you told me that, but I don't have to share that with anybody. I'm just going to keep that to myself. How could you look Eli in the face and deliver this terrible message of judgment? Well, I'll tell you how it happened. In the morning, well, I was going to say in the morning when he woke up, would you look for a moment with me at verse 15? I love how this word is worded. So Samuel lay down until morning and opened the doors of the house of the Lord. Does it say he slept? I don't believe he slept. He went back to bed, and I don't know what time it was. Let's say 3 o'clock in the morning. And from 3 o'clock in the morning to the first glimmer at light, his eyes are as open as saucers. And he can't believe, I don't know what to do with this heavy message that God has given me. Well, finally, Eli wakes up, and he comes to Samuel. And he says, Samuel, what did God tell you? Tell me everything. And this is the choice that the little boy Samuel had. The choice that Samuel had was the choice to say, am I going to obey God or am I going to fear man? That's a heavy choice, isn't it? And at that moment, Samuel, even though he was a little boy, let's guess nine years of age, he made the right choice and that right choice to say, I'm going to obey God. I'm going to respect God more than I fear man. That set a course for the rest of his life. And therefore, God raised up this man, Samuel, to be a giant in the nation of Israel, to be a man that shaped the destiny of that nation for generations. Samuel was one of the most significant men of the Old Testament, but it began because at a critical juncture early in his life, he made an important choice. He said, I'm going to obey God and respect God more than I will fear man. Now, it's a very natural thing for you and for I to fear man. We care about the opinions of others, don't we? I mean, after all, uh, when you prepared yourself to come here this morning, I suppose you gave some thought to what you would look like in front of other people. Yeah, I think most of you did. I think I don't think there's an unkempt person in the bunch here. You cared about just saying, well, other people are going to look. I just need to give some concern to how I look. And then we think about that, how we act, how we speak. And there's a measure of that. That's fine in our lives. God never calls us to live these lives that just say, oh, forget about the world. No, he wants us to live lives of love and connection and engagement with the world around us. But you know what the danger of that is? The danger is that we would become slaves to the opinion of man. That there are people who would say, well, I'm going to think you are foolish for being a full-out follower of Jesus Christ, and so I'm not going to do it. And there comes a place where you and I just simply have to say, forget it. I love you. I care about you. No disrespect towards you, but I'm not going to let your poor opinion of me shape my following of Jesus Christ. I think it's remarkable that this little boy Samuel came to this awareness so early in his life and it set a direction, a direction that I hope is set in your life. And I want to say this with with compassion because I don't want to act as if these are easy things. These are difficult things in our life with Jesus Christ. But ladies and gentlemen, we must come to the place where we fear God before man. 
And we're not afraid of being laughed at by men, that we're not afraid of being rejected by men. As a matter of fact, to some degree, we would count it as a badge of honor. But we would say, no, though none go with me, I'm going to follow Jesus Christ. Though none go with me, I'll be committed to him. God helping me, I'll make just that kind of stand. That's what Samuel did. And for some amazing reason, I'm sure it was the work of the Holy Spirit in his life, he had the courage and the ability to make such a stand at such a young age. Do you? Do I? I read this and I just get just a little measure of shame in my own face as I think, do you realize that maybe a nine-year-old boy was more courageous in following God than I am? I think, no, Lord, would you please strengthen me? And then I think about all of this and add it up and look to Jesus himself. Because if there was ever a man who walked this earth who knew what it was like to please God before pleasing man, it was Jesus. If ever there was a man who said, no, I'm going to fulfill the purpose and the obedience and the destiny that God has on my life, I'm going to go to the cross and I'm going to finish the work of redemption that God has called me to perform. And nothing is going to dissuade me from that. It was our Savior, Jesus Because as marvelous as Samuel was, and I think he is one of the great figures of the Bible, as marvelous as Samuel was, he never died for your sins. But Jesus did. And it was that same attitude of an absolute commitment to obeying God the Father in heaven that I want Jesus to live out through me. And I trust he can do through you as well. Well, that's the first life. That's Samuel. What about the second life? I said the second life that dominates the book of 1 Samuel is the life of Saul. And do you remember something about Saul? Saul was the man who was chosen to be the king of Israel because Israel wanted a king to be just like all the other nations. They looked about the Moabites have a king. The Egyptians have a pharaoh. The Hittites have a king. Why can't we have a king? God told Samuel, don't take it personal. They're rejecting me. They're not rejecting you. And so God said, okay, we will deliver a king to Israel. But unfortunately, God gave Israel what they wanted. Do you understand? It's not always. Let me just put it this way. Sometimes it's the judgment of God to give us what we want. And what Israel wanted was they wanted the image of a king. And so God gave them a king who was all about image. Sometimes I like to call Saul the king from central casting, because he looked the part. You know, if you were going to cast a movie and have a king, Saul would be it. The right height, the right build, the right chin, whatever it took to bear that crown on the brow, it was Saul. Unfortunately, he didn't have a heart after God. And that exhibited itself in a few different places in Saul's life. But in particular, it exhibited itself in one place where Saul was about to go to battle. And God said, through the prophet Samuel, before you go to battle, we got to get the nation right with God. And we've got to sacrifice unto the Lord. Saul, wait for me until we sacrifice and go to battle. Well, what happened in that situation? Look at it here. Turn a few pages in your Bible to 1 Samuel chapter 13, and we're going to start reading at the beginning of the chapter, verse 1. Saul reigned one year, 
And when he had reigned two years over Israel, Saul chose for himself 3,000 men of Israel. 2,000 were with Saul in Michmash and in the mountains of Bethel, and 1,000 were with Jonathan in Gibeah of Benjamin. The rest of the people he sent away, every man to his tent. And Jonathan attacked the garrison of the Philistines that was in Geba, and the Philistines heard of it. Then Saul blew the trumpet throughout all the land, saying, Let the Hebrews hear. Now all Israel heard it said that Saul had attacked the garrison of the Philistines, and that Israel had also become an abomination of the Philistines, and the people were called together to Saul at Gilgal. Verse 5. Then the Philistines gathered together to fight with Israel, 30,000 chariots and 6,000 horsemen and people as the sand which is on the seashore in multitude. And they came up and encamped in Michmash to the east of beth And when the men of Israel saw that they were in danger for the people were distressed, then the people hid in caves and thickets and rocks and holes and in pits. And some of the Hebrews crossed over the Jordan to the land of Gad and Gilead. As for Saul, he was still in Gilgal, and all the people followed him, trembling. Verse 8. Then he waited seven days, according to the time set by Samuel. But Samuel did not come to Gilgal, and the people were scattered from him. So Saul said, bring a burnt offering and peace offerings here to me. And he offered the burnt offering. Now let me pause right there at verse 9. This was a very sinful thing for a king in Israel to do. In ancient Israel, God always made a very clear distinction between the offices of priest and king. Priests were not to be kings, and kings were not to be priests. And here we find Saul trying to combine the two offices because he was impatient waiting for Samuel to come. He's waiting for the sacrifice to be made, and Samuel won't come, and Samuel won't come. And so finally he says, I'm sick of waiting for the priest to come. I'll offer the sacrifice him myself. And so he offered a burnt offering, which he should not have done. Now, what do you think happened as soon as he offered the offering? What do you think happened? Verse 10. Now, it happened as soon as he had finished preparing the, presenting the burnt offering that Samuel came. And Saul went out to meet him that he might greet him. And Samuel said, what have you done? And Saul said, when I saw the people were scattered from me and that they did not come within the day, or that, that you did not come within the days appointed and that the Philistines gathered together at Michmash, then I said, the Philistines will now come down on me at Gilgal and I have not made supplication to the Lord. Therefore, I felt compelled and I made the burnt offering. Verse 13, and Samuel said to Saul, you have done foolishly. You have not kept the commandment of the Lord your God, which he commanded you. For now the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever, but now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought for himself a man after his own heart, and the Lord has commanded him to be commander over his people, because you have not kept what the Lord has commanded you. I want to focus on the critical choice that I feel Saul made in this passage. And you might think, well, of course Saul made a bad choice. He made the choice to offer sacrifices when he had no business offering sacrifices as a king. He was a king, not a priest. He should have never made the burnt offerings. No, that's not the choice I'm talking about. Even though that was sin, and even though that was a grievous sin. My whole point in this is simply this. Saul's real error here was not the sin, it was the excuses he made for his sin. Do you see what his excuses were? 
It's really quite eloquent. It's amazing how eloquent a man or a woman can become when it comes to making excuses for sin. When he said, what has he done? It says there in verse 11, and Saul said, when I saw that the people were scattered from me and that you did not come within the days appointed, number one, the people are scattering. Number two, it's your fault, Samuel, for not coming in time. And that the Philistines gathered together at Michmash. Then I said, the Philistines will now come down upon me at Gilgal and I've not made supplication to the Lord. Therefore, I felt compelled. I had to do it. Excuses, excuses, excuses. Friends, here's a simple point. It wasn't Saul's sin that ruined him. It was the excuses that he tried to make for them. Now, I'm not trying to justify or minimize Saul's sins at all. He did a grievous sin before the Lord. But what a different story it would have been if it read like this. Can you go back to verse 10, please? Look at this. What if it read like this? Now, it happened as soon as he had finished presenting the burnt offering that Samuel came and Saul went out to meet him and that he might greet him. And Samuel said, what have, he done? What have you done? And Saul said, I'm so sorry for sinning against the Lord, Samuel. Would you please sacrifice for me and atone for my sin because I know that I've sinned against the Lord? Is that what the text says? No, because that's not what Saul did. Instead, what did he do? He made excuses and excuses and excuses trying to cover over his sin. Friends, isn't this the great danger in our lives? Nobody is surprised when we sin. But what's very difficult for us is when we try to cover it up. When we refuse to get honest with God and get right before him. And I want you to know today, it's really not your sin that hinders you from coming to God and walking right with him. You know what it is even more than your sin? It's the excuses. It's the fact that that you won't bring the real you to the real Jesus and make it right. And on that day, when Saul chose excuses instead of the heart of God, everything changed in his life. It's like now he was set on a course that he could never walk back from, and God knew it, and Samuel said, I'm pulling the kingdom away from you. You'll never have it again. Friends, the price for excuses in our life and all the rationalizations that we pile one on top of another, they can never erase the fact that we are sinners who need to be forgiven by a great Savior and we just need to bring the real us to the real Jesus so that we can be really transformed by his power. But there's a tendency, you and I know it, But part of it's just in our culture. Part of it's just in our own fallen humanness. But there's this part of us that just says, I'm going to bring a phony baloney self to the church. And I'll just sort of screw on this face or this persona that lets everybody know that everything's all right. But you know what? Not everything's all right in your life. You are caught in the bondage of sin. But instead of really bringing yourself before God, As a sinner caught in the bondage of sin, you make a face, you put on a persona, you make some excuses, and you just try to gut it out and carry on. With all the love in my heart, I tell you, friend, God has so much for the Christian life for you than that. So much for you than just to barely hang on while you're trying to wear a mask that you hope that nobody sees underneath. Here's the good news. You can bring the real you 
to the real Jesus and have a real transformation of life. That is the wonderful news for me, for you, for every one of us. Saul never saw it, but I hope you do. Now, here's the third person, because we talked about three people, didn't we? We talked about Samuel, we talked about Saul, and who was the third one? David. Well, what about the life of David? And how do you even talk about the life of David? I mean, the life of David is so big and so grand in the Bible that to try to pick one critical turning point, I almost feel foolish for the attempt, but that's never stopped me before. So let me give it my best shot. Here's my one attempt to try to find a turning point in the early life of David, something that was a critical choice he made. Samuel made his choice. Saul made his choice. Well, what was David's choice? What was the choice of this man who was a great poet in Israel, a great warrior, a great leader, a great prophet, all these things together? What was the turning point in David's life? Well, I think you have to go ahead just a couple of chapters into first, cham- cha- uh, first chapter, first Samuel chapter 16. Sometimes my mind gets ahead of my mouth in the words that I want to say. But may- maybe I should say this. Can I just remind you of something that we just here saw in chapter 13? In chapter 13, when God rejected Saul from being the king over Israel, this is what he said. But now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought for himself a man after his own heart, and the Lord has commanded him to be commander over his people. In other words, Saul, I've already filled your position. It's going to take me a while to get you out of your office, but I've got your replacement already. And let me tell you something about your replacement. He is a man after my own heart. Well, how did God ever reveal that man after his own heart? That's why I want you to turn to 1 Samuel chapter 16. Now, look at it here, starting at verse 6. So it was when they came that he looked at Eliab and said, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look at his appearance or the height of his stature, for I have refused him. For the Lord does not see as man sees, for man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. So Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made Shammah pass by. And he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. Thus Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen these. And Samuel said to Jesse, are all the young men here? Then he said, there remains yet the youngest And there he is keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, send and bring him, for we will not sit down till he comes here. So he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy with bright eyes and good looking. And the Lord said, arise and anoint him, for this is the one. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. Now I want you to notice something. In this whole beautiful scene from 1 Samuel chapter 16, God is telling the discouraged prophet Samuel, go out and I'm going to show you the man that I've chosen to replace Saul as king. It's going to take many years for the replacement to happen, but I'll show you who the man is right now and you're going to anoint him with the oil of anointing. 
So he says, it's going to be one of the sons of a farmer in Bethlehem named Jesse. So he goes and he meets with Jesse. He says, Jesse, bring all your sons to a great big barbecue that we're going to have. And I know it's going to be one of your sons that I anoint. So Jesse brings his sons. And the first one he looks at is he looks at a guy named Eliab. And Eliab, well, he's another king from central casting. He looks the part. And therefore Samuel looks at him and he goes, oh Lord, that's the one. That's him. He's the king. And that's almost as if God says to Samuel, Samuel, you fool. How many kings from central casting do you want? I'm not looking for a man who just looks the part. I'm looking for a man who has the true heart that I want him to have on the throne of Israel. So the firstborn wasn't the one. The secondborn wasn't the one. The thirdborn wasn't the one. And God goes through seven sons of Jesse, and none of them are the one. Therefore, Samuel says, well, you must have another son because God says it would be one of your sons, but these guys aren't the ones. Do you have another son? And did you notice how Jesse referred to his own son right there in verse 11? Let me read it to you again. And Samuel said to Jesse, are all the young men here? Then he said, there remains yet the youngest, and there he is keeping the sheep. Do you notice something? How despised David was by his own father. Samuel, the prophet, comes and he says, Jesse, I'm giving a great big dinner. Bring all your sons and bring him here to the dinner because we want to have a dinner with all your sons. He doesn't even think to invite the youngest son, David. And then when Samuel calls him on it, he doesn't even give David a name. Do you see how he refers to David in verse 11? What does he call him? The youngest. Which, by the way, especially in that culture, was a way of sort of despising a person. Well, Samuel said, I'm having none of that. Get this youngest son, bring him in here. And as soon as he saw David, he said, that's the one. And he anointed him with oil. Now, what's the point? Where's the choice that I'm trying to point at here? Well, ladies and gentlemen, do you realize something? That God said, I have a man after my own heart. And that was David. In other words, David, while he was still out keeping the sheep, was a man after God's own heart. Don't think that David became a man after God's own heart once he took the throne or once he became a general or once he slew Goliath or whatever you want to say. David was a man after God's own heart when his own father didn't even seem to know his name and all he did was keep sheep out on some hillside in the Judean rural area. And this is the point. David had a real relationship of love and trust and fellowship with God before anybody ever looked at his life. And this is the choice. I have to say, I honestly believe that this was the pivotal choice in David's life. David chose to love God when no one was looking at him. And friends, this is a choice that I want to challenge myself with, but I'll challenge you in it too. I'm going to include you in this challenge too. To say, do I love God when no one else is looking at me? Whereas really, am I a different person in private than I am in public? Now look, I look out on you all this morning and you know what? Y'all look like a spiritual bunch to me. You're attentive. You've got open Bibles. You're looking at stuff. You, you seem attentive. You're tracking. This is great. I'm very blessed by it. 
And, and that's a good thing. I'm not trying to say that there's anything wrong with it. That's all good. There's nothing bad in that. But how are you when you leave this room? How are you when you're all alone? Do you ever worship God all alone? Do you ever pray to the Lord all alone? Do you ever dig into his word all alone? Do you ever really love God when no one's looking at you? Or, friends, I got to say this to myself because there's actually a danger in what I do as a pastor before you. There's a danger in that I would become what's sometimes known as a professional Christian. Oh, when I'm on the platform and the lights are on me, then I'm spiritual. And I know how to spin out the right words. But I got to ask myself the same question you need to ask yourself. Is it real off the platform? Is it real outside the walls of the church? Is it real when it's just me and God? I know the choice that David made. David made a choice that when it was just him and the Lord out tending a flock of sheep and nobody knew who his was and know who he knew who he was and when his own father despised him David pursued a real relationship with the Lord and the only eyes on him were little sheep eyes How about you I think this is such a critical key to a life lived with God A key that says, I'm not going to wait to perform my walk with God in front of other people. I want it to be something I am, not just something I do. Do do you want God to do a kind of work like that in your life? I want him to work in my life this way. So shouldn't we just kind of look at this and say, here this morning we see three lives and we see three choices. We see the life of Samuel, and he chose to to fear God more than man. We see the life of Saul, and he's the one who made the bad choice. He chose excuses rather than the heart of God. But then finally, blessedly, we see David. And David was the one who chose to love God when no one was looking at him. And that's what we have to be in our life as well. So, Father, that's my prayer. I pray it for myself. I pray it for each of these, Lord, who so patiently and so intently they listen to your word and to hear what your Holy Spirit would speak to them through a a poor vessel such as myself. But God, I pray that you would take this word and you would challenge each and every one of us. I'm blown away, Lord, that you've made us in your image and you've given us some faculty of choice to be able to say, yes, Lord, I want to orient my life in this way. Would you please help me to grab a hold of this? And Lord, we don't think for a moment that we can make any one of these choices independently of you. We cling to you and we ask that you would work these things in us. Yet nevertheless, Lord, we want to choose these things, to choose life and to live a life that gives you honor and praise. Help us to do it now, God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to a message by Pastor David Guzik for Enduring Word. For more information about our ministry and how to grow in your relationship with Jesus, please visit EnduringWord.com.